Hey there, Marcus here. It is my joy and privilege to serve as pastor here at Awaken Church in Juneau, Alaska. I pray that in the next few moments, the, the word of God proclaimed is a blessing to you and is nourishing to your soul. But we believe here at Awaken that one of the ordinary means of God's grace in our life is the gathering of the people of God. We believe that it's in the gathering that, that we're known and that we know one another. That it's in the gathering that, that we are shaped and fashioned into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you this Sunday to come and join us. Come and worship with us. But for now, I pray that you're encouraged by this sermon. God bless. Let's pray together again this morning. Lord, it is, it is good to be here uh, with your people. I am grateful, Lord, as I know all of us are this morning, to, um, to be here. Lord, it, it, it's a privilege that we, um, for most of our lives, many of us have taken for granted. And, and uh, this morning, I just... Uh, uh, again, just sense the sweetness of, of being with your people. And uh, we're reminded this morning that right now, as we gather here and as we sing to you and as we look at your truth together and we behold it, um, that this is a glimpse of what is to come. This is a, a, a small reflection of what we will all experience together one day in the future when you return and establish your kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth and we will forever be together in your presence glorifying and, and magnifying you. We will forever behold you in, in the fullness of your glory and we will no longer wrestle as we all are right now with our old self and who we now are and in you, we, we no longer will have this lingering sense of our own sin. We will be perfect in your presence. And so I pray uh, this morning as we consider our living hope that we would be filled with hope this morning. Lord, we ask uh, for your help now in your name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, as I was preparing for uh, my sermon, uh, my message this week, I, I realized that uh, even though the last three weeks we've looked together at three different portions of Scripture, I've had three different titles uh, for uh, our, our messages together, the, the theme that has kind of risen to the surface and what we've kind of focused on every single week, um, kind of unintentionally, is this idea of hope. It seems like even when we were trying to talk about uh, the gift of anticipation and of patience and of longing, that it all came back around to this idea of the future hope, this living hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
It's been emphasized in our time together, no matter what portion of scripture that we've uh, been looking at, and we've kind of just trailed off to this idea of hope. And, and I don't think that that is necessarily a surprise to any of us for a number of reasons. One being, we all really need to be reminded in 2020 of the hope that we have in Christ, right? This has been a year more than the years prior of hopelessness and, a, and of a sense of angst and wonder wondering if, if things in, in this life and in this present day are going to improve. And even though in the back of our minds we have this, uh, this knowledge and understanding that our hope is not in this life, it's not in this world, but in the one to come, we still have a tendency to drift into a sense of hopelessness. Am I alone in that this morning? No. But also, this time of year is a time of hope. Right? It, it is a season of hope, not just for us as believers, but culturally, it has developed over the decades and over the generations into a time where people uh, make effort to um, kind of infuse hope back into their lives. It's interesting to me that the world who is outside of Christ, does not believe in Christ, trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, still attempts during the Advent season and around Christmas time to grab on to the hope that you and I know as believers in Jesus Christ. As you walk through the stores, you'll notice the theme of Christmas decor is often... Um, uh, uh, created around the word hope, right? The large placards you put on your wall that say hope across them. And my question as I see those in, in the store is when somebody buys that, if they don't know Christ and they put it on their wall, what is it that they're hoping in? What is it that they are placing their hope in? Now I, I know and I'm fully aware, as you are, that much of that has to do with the influence of Christianity in our culture that still lingers today. We understand that uh, as a Western culture that Christianity has uh, played a huge role in, in weaving kind of the, the cultural fabric together in which we live. And, and though we are in a post-Christian era, we still see this kind of lingering uh, sort of influence of Christianity in our day-to-day -day lives. We see it on Facebook when people say, Sending thoughts and prayers. You've heard me mention that before. That bugs me so much. Sending thoughts. Where are you sending thoughts and prayers? But that, that is the cultural influence of, of Christianity and the culture. Nobody's praying. Uh, most of them aren't even thinking. They're just scrolling. But we say sending thoughts and prayers. We say hope, peace, joy this time of year. We know also, many of you have family members, or it may be why you're here this morning or why you're tuning in on the live stream this time of year from all over uh, in, in our culture, in our Western culture, people who have a quasi-faith, who, who have a, a sort of sense of belief in God and, and that he's out there somewhere and that there must be some sort of creator and, and you kind of believe, but it really doesn't have any influence on you as a person, but yet this time of year, there's thoughts about God and Christ, and you seem to practice 
Christian tradition without the um, authenticity that we as believers uh, are experiencing this time of year when we sing about our hope and we sing songs like, Oh, Holy Night, right? We don't just sing those songs so that we can all uh, show off our vocal uh, abilities, right? We sing those songs because it, it moves us with emotion as we consider that night when Christ was born. The reality is that the reason why in our culture and really all over the world, especially this time of year, we see people striving to cling to hope is because of the fact that the need for hope is wired into us as human beings. The sense that there is something in the future that is better than today it is wired into us. We, we know deep down inside of us, even if we uh, will not I admit it or some uh, spend their entire lives opposing it, we know that something is wrong, that something is off, and, and that we need something or someone to intervene. Human beings, no matter where you're born, no matter what time you were born, no matter what culture, no matter what era, we all are drawn to this sense of hope, of being hopeful, a sense of anticipation that things are not going to remain as they are. Hope is essential to our lives, isn't it? When somebody is ill and they're in the hospital and, and they are on their deathbed, we tell them not to lose what? Not to lose hope. Because remaining hopeful is uh, uh, attached to the, the desire for life. And to lose hope is to lose the desire to live, right? Because hope is essential to life. Now, I'm not talking about just physical life now, and I think many of you know where I'm going. Hope is tied into, it is woven into the life, the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. There's been a lot of um, research right now, currently, about the suicide rates in 2020 increasing. Many of you are, are familiar with that and, and even work in that field. And in the years to come, the, the data will sort of flesh itself out and, and we'll see you know, what that really looks like. But it seems like uh, currently there is an uptick in hopelessness that is leading individuals, particularly those in their 20s and 30s, to, uh, to take their lives. The reason for that, I, I believe, is that our culture, again, I know I'm, you know, somebody, somebody's counting how many times I use the word culture this morning, but our, our culture has for a long time drilled into the minds of our youth that there is nothing and no one to hope for outside of yourself. 
that you can't trust anyone. There's nothing bigger than you to place your hope in. You are the author of your own happiness. If you're going to be fulfilled, if you're going to be satisfied, if you're going to be filled with hope for your future, you have to be the one to kind of grab your life by the reins and and take control. Nobody can take that from you and no one can give it to you. You are responsible for your own happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment, and hope. I remember uh, watching the movie The Pursuit of Happiness. Do you remember that? movie, everybody's seen that movie, Pursuit of Happiness, and there's a scene in that movie um, where uh, Will Smith um, gets upset at his son, and his son kind of gets down and all of that, and then he tells his son, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do something. You remember that? And he's telling his son, don't let anyone ever tell you you can't be happy that you can't be in control of your own destiny, that you can't uh, you know, pursue your own satisfaction. Don't ever let anyone tell you you can't. I'm reminded of a, a quote by Kevin DeYoung, uh, who wrote a book about God's will that's actually very helpful. And in fact, if you're, if you're um, younger here, it's a great book for anyone, but if you're in your uh, maybe late teens or 20s or maybe your early 30s, this would be a great book for you to get. It's by Kevin DeYoung. I, I don't think I've ever recommended a book from the pulpit before, but yeah, it's a new day. Uh, it's called Just Do Something. Just Do Something. How to Know God's Will for Your Life. And in that book, he says that there are things that you can do, but things that you ought not to do. I wish that someone would have told me a long time ago that though there are things that I might be permitted to do by scripture, there are things that I ought not to do. But we have a tendency to try to grab a hold of our life and make our own selves happy. My question, to you this morning, and yes, this is still my introduction, is what happens when you inevitably let yourself down in that pursuit time and time again? What happens when fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and peace can only come from inside of you in your mind and you realize that you are incapable of pursuing or or producing rather true hope and true unwavering uh, peace in your own power. Now you might be able to fool people around you, but the reality is when you're alone, you know that your sense of confidence and your sense of optimism is is really built on, uh, on sand. And what happens when you realize that you don't have control? That you aren't the author of your own destiny? That there are powers at play and at work that, are far, that far exceed your finite ability 
Well, what happens is you begin to lose hope because you have nothing solid to place your hope in. But as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, the very foundation of our lives and everything that we do and everything that we are is based on a hope in someone and something that is totally outside of us, totally outside of our power, our control, our failures, and our successes. Our hope is unwavering. Our hope is unconditional. Our hope is unseen at the moment, but it is unhindered. It is certainly undeserved, but it is also freely given. It is everlasting, and it is a hope that will not fail us. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Because we're faithful, right? Is that, no? Because he who promised is faithful. You see, our hope comes from outside of us and is in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord. So let us hold fast, fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because, because he who promised is faithful. Our hope, well, let's look at the faithfulness. Let's hone in on that really quickly and, and we'll make our way to 1 Peter 1.3. Our hope in what to come is sure because of what has already taken place. Tracking with me? Now, I know that uh, many of you are probably putting the pieces together in your minds. We've been talking about this for weeks together, and if you know your Bible well, you're jumping from verse to verse and thinking about the gospel, thinking about the cross, thinking about the hope we have in Christ, but for the sake of mutual rejoicing this morning, and for the sake of those who have not heard and have not believed. Let's consider our, our future hope based on the faithfulness of God and what he has done. Our future hope of eternal life with God is certain for those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ because... God has raised him from the grave. Our future hope is sure because of what has already taken place and because of who God is in himself. It is because Christ has come, his first advent. It is because he has obtained for us on our behalf, righteousness, that we will stand righteous before God forever. It is because 
in his death, we were justified, that we have no fear to stand before the judgment seat of God. It is because God raised him from the dead that we are certain, firstly, of the fact that Jesus is, in fact, the only begotten Son of God, but also the fact that we will be raised with him. That death has no dominion over him. That the sting of death, as Paul says, has been removed. Our future hope that we are promised has already been paid for by what has already been accomplished by Christ our Lord. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do is I'd like to look at this reality of this hope that we have that we've been looking at the past few weeks together, and we're going to look at it one more time this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to hone in on verse 3, but we'll read a, a bit more together this morning to get a, a sense of the text. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing of so that the testing tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, through the testing of its of sorry, through its through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. There's a number of things I'd like us to look together at together this morning from just that one verse, verse three. There's much more that we could glean from this passage. We could spend a long time here in this handful of verses. I should tell you that the main point that Peter is talking about here is our future inheritance. The, the hope is in the future inheritance. So the, the point of the text is, is not the hope necessarily. It is this idea of blessing God, praising God because of our future inheritance that is secured for us in heaven. And that through faith we are being preserved for here in this life while we await that glorious 
inheritance. So we love expository preaching here, right? So you don't have to come up and say, Pastor, you didn't give us the point of the text. You missed the point of the text. The, the point of the text is the inheritance that we have. And we will look at that more uh, together in the future. But for our time together this morning, I'd like us to look more at this idea of hope. Hope. Notice first that our hope is a living hope. Let me just give, them, give you all the points really quickly and then we'll go back. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope, right? It's not a false hope. It is a living hope. Number two, we are born into it. We are born into it. We are born children of God, not physically, but by a, a spiritual new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Third, it is God. God is the cause of our new birth. Fourthly, our hope is, uh, our, our hope is that we are born, uh, I'm sorry, phrase it a little differently. The hope that we are born into is because of God's great mercy. And fifthly, lastly, our hope gives us reason to bless God, to worship God, to render to God our praise and our adoration and our affections. So those are the five points that we'll look at from that one verse together this morning. But before we go there, let me just define for us a little bit further the word hope. The word hope. I told you before in the last couple weeks that hope in scripture is, is used differently than the way we use the word hope in our everyday language, right? We use the word hope to talk about uncertainty. We, we hope for the best, but we're not, we're not sure, right? It could go this way, it could go that way. That's the way that we use the word hope. When, when we want to say that something is certain, we use the word certain or for sure, or, or something like that. But in the scriptures, when it talks about our hope, it's talking uh, about something that is certain. The word hope can be, should be translated maybe a little bit better uh, in anticipation. Uh, our hope is what we are anticipating. Again, not maybe this or maybe that, but, but a certainty, something that we are expecting to happen that will happen, that will take place. It is, uh, in essence, the expectation of someone or something. So our hope in Scripture is our expectation. When we talk about hope, uh, or rather, when we talk about our hope in Christ, we always talk about it in the present tense, don't we? We always talk about it, our salvation, in, um, in, the, in the present tense. We, we say that we are saved, and rightfully so. We should use that sort of language. We have been saved by grace, through faith, in Christ Jesus our 
Lord. We should use this sort of immediate language to describe the fact that our salvation is not something off in the future, but it is so sure that it is being experienced now, absolutely. It is as if it has already fully transpired. But oftentimes when we use that sort of present tense language to describe our salvation, we can trick ourselves into thinking that we, that our salvation has been fully realized. That there's nothing forward to, to look forward to. There's nothing in the future to look forward to because we are saved. But when we stop and, and we think about it, we remember that, boy, our salvation, if, if you do just a quick 10 second self-evaluation, if this is the fullness of my salvation, it's incomplete, right? Because you know you and I, I know me better than you know me and I, I am still a sinner. I am still in need of God's grace every day. I, I still, as you do, struggle to put to death the old man that is clinging to me like a dead body strapped around my neck. And I know you can relate. So if we are fully saved, then, then God messed up somewhere. Or he is not fully able or fully capable to save me from my sin because I still sin. Unless our salvation is sure but has not been fully realized. Unless our salvation is paid for but yet to be fully experienced unless we have a future hope to look forward to because of what he has already done see that's how we use the word hope we are anticipating the day when christ returns and he brings an end to all of this We are now, or if you are saved by grace, if you have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, you are now outside of the power of sin. But sin is not entirely removed from your life. You experience glimpses of the glory and the holiness of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, but you have not begun to taste and see and experience the goodness of our God. You see glimpses of his power, but we have not come close to standing in the fullness of his glory. You sense his peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, but you have not begun to experience true, total peace that we will all know fully when we stand before him complete in his presence forever. We talk about our salvation in terms of it having already happened. And it has already happened, but it has not yet been fully realized. 
So we have something to hope for, don't we? We have something to long for, to anticipate, to look forward to. And so our hope in what is to come is the foundation of all of the benefits of being the children of God that we experience now. Our future hope, when all things will be completed, made new, when we will be resurrected and have a glorified body like his body, when sin will be no more, is the foundation of our experience as believers today in the present. Our hope for the future shapes our peace today. Our hope for what is to come affects the way that we act in the present. It should. We have no fear of death because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have no sense of condemnation because we stand no longer condemned, but we stand justified because of the finished work of Christ that has been accomplished. We have a union with God. We know him and a unity with one another because of our shared hope in what is to come. As we looked at last week together, these present benefits that we experience are what are called the first fruits of what is to come. In other words, they are glimpses. They are just tiny, little, glorious, wonderful, uh, delicious, beautiful, should be enjoyed with every fiber of your being and all you do, do to the glory of God type of living. But it is just a taste of what is to come when we stand in his presence forever. Our hope affects our countenance. It affects our affections. It affects the way that we experience our lives. So what is our, our future hope? What are we hoping in? Well, to make it very simple, it, it is eternal life, right? Like real life. Now, make no mistake, everyone will live forever. You will either live forever in the life-giving presence of God or you will exist forever in perpetual death and suffering outside of the, the goodness of God and under the wrath of God. When we looked at hell together from Mark weeks ago, but our hope is eternal life, united with and in the presence of the author and giver of life, God himself. Romans 6, 8 puts it very simply. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. You should just memorize that right now. Like before the end of the day, memorize Romans 6, 8. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. I should have had that put up on the screen so we could all say it together. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Just as he was physically raised from the dead, we too will be physically raised with him in the future. It's interesting to consider this idea uh, throughout scripture that even when we die, now if you die before Christ returns, scripture is clear that to be absent from the body is to go immediately into the presence of God, which is incredible, right? That's why Paul is wrestling with whether or not he should remain alive and suffer for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the Philippians or if he he should just kind of give up and die. And he says that would be far better, far better. Not because he was having some sort of like morbid, dark thoughts, but because he knew that to die would be to be immediately in the presence of, of the Lord. But if that happens to you, or as it has happened to our brothers and sisters that have gone before us, even in the presence of God, there is right now an anticipation of a future hope. Even right now, in the presence of God, the saints of old are anticipating a future resurrection when there will be a finality to all that God has promised. A future resurrection where, where everything that he plans to do will be fully realized. That's just a little side note. Isn't that interesting to think about? Let's take this idea just a little bit further. The Heidelberg Catechism, which I don't quote very often. Is that okay if I quote that, David Heidelberg? Yes. Is it appropriate? Yes. Okay. It succinctly asks and answers this question it's question 45, if you're curious, and some of you are just wondering what a catechism is. That's not really our, our stream. You can look it up later. Question 45 asks, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Now, could we just have a moment of honesty? Even as believers, have you ever or do you currently wonder, how does Jesus' death and resurrection actually affect me? And nobody's raising their hand. I shouldn't have, I'm not asking for hands up, but you ever wonder that? Like, well, how exactly does one thing lead to the other? Well, here's a, here's a very simple answer. Three things. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he won for us by his death. Number two, by his power, we too, are already now resurrected to new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is the guarantee. Everybody say that, guarantee. Not the guarantee on the mattress you bought online. This is like guaranteed comfort for, you know, or your money back. Not that kind of false guarantee marketing scheme, but an actual guarantee, a sure thing. The very definition of hope. Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. So our future hope is that we will forever be with him, that we will be like him. There is, of course, so much more 
that Peter goes on to talk about that the other New Testament writers talk about and even glimpses that we see in the Old Testament scriptures. There's so much more that God has planned for us in the future. So, so many blessings, so many benefits, so many joys, so many pleasures, so many different ways that will cause us to glorify him forever. But at its root, it, there is an eternal life with him in his presence. You know, I was thinking about, um, uh, you know, the question, what is the chief end of man? Why do we exist? Why did God create us? Why are we here? And the answer to that question is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper switched that little word in the middle uh, decades ago and said that we glorify God by enjoying him forever. And so a lot of, we wonder sometimes what heaven will be like. And, and honestly, we don't know. There's a lot that we don't know and a lot we can't fathom, but here's what we do know. We know that we will glorify God, which is the reason why we were created, and we will glorify him by enjoying him forever. Can you fathom that this morning? Can you even begin to imagine what it, would be, what it will be like to enjoy him fully? And by enjoying him, glorify him. That's why you exist. That's why you were created. And so our hope is that we will be resurrected and enabled to do just that. To do what we cannot do fully. So, you know, we ask the question a lot. Um, people um, ask, uh, Certainly the question, why, why do we exist? But they, they try to find their purpose, right? And when somebody finds their so-called purpose in life, they say, you know, I feel really fulfilled because I found my purpose. Can you imagine what it will feel like, what it will be like to perfectly do what God created you to do? to actually fulfill your purpose forever. Can you imagine the joy that that will bring? And that joy will glorify him. And in glorifying him, you will fulfill your purpose, which will fill you with joy, which will cause you to glorify him. Well, my time's up and we didn't get to 1 Peter 1, 3. <laughs> But we did look at hope together. Well, what do we do here? Okay, let me, just, let me just give you those points really quick. Are we okay? Give me three minutes. Okay. By three, I mean 30. But I'll try to keep it short. I, I, just, I want you to see these things. I, I, think, we need to, I think we need to remember this um, anytime, but especially this time. Okay, the first thing I want us to see together is this. And I, I will go quickly. Uh, first... Our hope, our living hope, is purchased by Jesus Christ. It is bought or wrought by the finished work of Christ. We have a future hope because of him. You, you hearing me this morning? It has nothing to do with you. Nothing. Nothing you, there's nothing for you to earn. Nothing for you to prove. Nothing for you to live up to. You live out of 
the fact that you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The work is finished. There should be just a huge sigh of relief. Our future hope, remember, our resurrection to new life, it is, it is purchased by Jesus. He is the resurrection and, and the life. You remember when Jesus uh, intentionally waited for Lazarus to be in the grave for three days? And on the fourth day, he comes to Bethany, which is two, three miles outside of Jerusalem, and Martha runs up to him. And they have this interaction And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Jesus said in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. It is wrought, it is bought by Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. It is not owed to you. It is not something that God needed to do because he created you and felt some sort of sense of obligation to rescue you from your sin. It is a gift. That's one of the reasons we decided as a family that we're actually going to embrace gift giving. We used to kind of start pulling back from that because we didn't want to, you know, develop materialism and and all that kind of thing. But I'm realizing that the reason why we give gifts this time of year is to emphasize the fact that God has given us the greatest gift that could ever be given. And so we give and receive gifts in this participation of what it, what it feels like to give a wonderful gift. And, and remember, when you give a gift, the, uh, the recipient of the gift is not the point, right? It's your love towards the recipient. So the kids in the room are going like, yeah, that's what. Okay, listen to your parents, right? Every, okay. It is a gift from God, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the free gift. Say free gift. Free gift gift of God, so that no one may boast. It is confirmed in us by the Spirit. Our future hope, how do you know you have it? How do you know your hope isn't a false hope? It is confirmed in you by the Spirit. Turn to Romans chapter 15 very quickly. You gotta go quick, because we're going, going quick. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, boy, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Remember, it has nothing to do with you. You can't even make yourself hopeful. Praise be to God. It is the Holy Spirit who enables you to remain hopeful, as we looked at earlier, to keep you hopeful, to keep you in the faith until we fully realize our salvation that is yet to come. Our God is awesome, isn't he? He does it all. (laughs) It is confirmed by the Spirit. Stay in Romans 15. It is laid out for us in the scriptures. 
So you want to know what we're hoping in? What does our hope look like? What's it going to be like in the future? What is it like now? What does it produce in us now? It is laid out for us in the scriptures. Look at Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If you ever needed a reason to reorient or cut some things out of your life to make sure you are in God's word every single day, that is the verse that that should motivate you to do that. You feel hopeless? It was written for our instructions so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, the encouragement of the scriptures, wow. All right. It is out of his mercy. This is the last one. We'll stop there. Our hope ultimately flows from a God who is great in mercy. He is great in mercy. I am absolutely convinced and have been for years now that we do not recognize often enough the significance of God's mercy towards sinners. We are far too entitled and we are far too finite and humanistic in our thinking and we spend far too much time wondering why God does not save everyone instead of recognizing how insanely undeserved and incredible God's mercy is in saving you and me and all who he has called by his name for his glory. He is great in mercy. Amen. Well, that's a third week looking at the hope that we have in Christ. We have a lot to be hopeful about, right? And a lot of reason to be hopeful. So let's stand together and we're going to sing now because of this great hope and then we'll be dismissed.